That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. So, Jake, are you tired of Lent yet? I mean, it just keeps barreling on the suffering, the fasting, the making your face look dismal, like a yes. good hypocrite that you are. Every but every rector's office at this time is just cluttered with paper, cluttered with bulletins, cluttered with um, uh, uh, notes and people you should call back that you haven't gotten back to. It's a it's a giant mess. So yes, I'm looking Dude, for the downtime of Easter. I feel you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Right. That the was probably the most of... heartfelt "I feel you" I've ever heard you say. It's so good. I do I feel you. I'm in it. Somebody asked me if I give stuff up for Lent. And I was like, no, life has enough suffering. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized it sounded really, I don't know, they, they, their face was like, oh, that's dark. And I was, I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine, really. I'm like doing all the good self-care. But man, mm. I do feel, as our Lord Jesus said, each day has enough trouble of its own. So mm. uh, That's good. I mean, I've, yeah, anyways. I hear you. I think... Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm ready for Lent to be. I, you know, who knows? I'm ready for the Lord to come and take us home. Everything going on, so we'll just see what happens. So, uh, yes, I. Uh, as we were talking before the show, I definitely. I do love my job, though. I do, I, it is. It is a great job, and I do love my job too. Vestry members, if you're listening, yeah, I'd love it. It but is. But it's not for the but, faint uh, of heart, man. You know? it, yeah. It, it Every time, day to day. Every time somebody's always like, yeah, man, I'd like to be a priest. I really would like to help people. I'm like, this is not for you. So, <laughs> I mean, we do do that. But we do do it, but, uh, you know, it's not all we do. And so, and sometimes we really wreck people. So anyway, <laughs> you know, this, sometimes Speak it's just... Speak for yourself, nothing, bro. Speak nothing I can do yourself. to help you. So you need Jesus, yeah. not Jake. I always tell people, but, if you want to be a good rector, you need to be an event planner, good email writer... And a fundraiser. Overall wonderful things. development officer. So, right. um, good. Well, uh, on this fifth and Sunday of Lent. preaching the gospel. Okay, yeah, but sorry. Yeah. we're on the fifth Sunday of Lent, and we are looking towards a resurrection. And uh, that's uh, basically the themes of the fifth Sunday of Lent is uh, uh, looking towards resurrection and the hope of the one who raises the dead. And our uh, readings for today are from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, we have Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 11, and finally, uh, one of my favorite passages, especially to be read at a funeral, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Is this really, well, is this whole passage really in the funeral propers? It seems like maybe... No, uh, they, no, they, they, did, they it. cut it out, but you know, they give you the yeah. whole thing in Lent so you'll suffer. And I so, will say, uh, yeah. <laughs> the um, yeah, that's what everybody's giving up for Lent. They're giving up like seven minutes every Sunday due to the yeah. longer readings. Uh, so, uh, the collect- yeah, we were the other day we were reading the uh, long one of the Samar- the woman at the Samaritan. You know, and I was like, 
uh, uh, the gospel according to St. John, all of it. <laughs> so. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, by the way, the, um, uh, uh, the collect is like the fireiest of all the fire collects. It's um, good. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. That's the right two of uh, what Cranmer wrote. It used to be a collect in the season of Easter, but now is a Lenten collect. But it is just, it distills the human condition that our wills and affections are unruly, meaning they do what they want. They are not ruled. They just go all over the place. Um, and that we need grace not to be better people. We need grace to simply love what God commands and to even desire what God's promises, because on our own we don't do mm. that. And then, anyways, it's just, I could go on and on about this collect alone. Um, well, people wanted to get us to the text. Let's, Jesus Christ let's is where him. true joys are to be found. So yeah, let's move. Let's move quickly. Thank you. Keeping me, hold my feet to the fire. Let's get into Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven, mm. mm. <laughs> uh, where we have the famous story of the dry bones. So this is um, one of those passages that is familiar to a lot of people, and it is read uh, in Lent, and it because it's so familiar, I think can be a little. I don't know, kind of go in one ear and out the other. But the main idea of this passage is the total hopelessness of the bones. They're, they're completely dead. You know, like mm-hmm. in, uh, in Princess Bride where the Dread Pirate Roberts is mostly dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's like a little <laughs> bit of life left that Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal, can sort of revive. No, no, or, no, no, no. Do you remember uh, from Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail and yeah. bring out your dead? And he's like, I'm yeah. not quite dead yet. Yeah, I'm <laughs> getting better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's none of that here. It's like the, it's it's so clear. It says, you know, there were many, very many lying in the valley and they were very dry, you know, which is like, you know, Hebrew is, in biblical Hebrew is often very sparse in its language. So the fact that it, you know, is is so um, loquacious to even say very many, very dry, mm. um, uh, it's it's uh, it says a lot in in the Old Testament. So just this kind of hopelessness, and uh, and even when they are put back together, you know, first there's the the bones coming together, uh, and then there is the sinews, and mm-hmm. you know the muscle the flesh you know and then uh um but then there's no breath in them and so god has to breathe and they now are alive and so this is a picture of what god does with human beings um that he takes hopeless cases where there's not god does 99% and we do 1% no we are and um we are so dead in our sins and trespasses, that um, we are just, we're bones. And if you think about, you know, if you if you were to find somebody who has recently died or suffered some sort of accident, you might, you know, do some CPR or something like that, some life-saving measures at the end. But this begins with this idea that, you know, what has been, what is dead has been dead for a long time, long enough that it's just bones. And there are very many, and they're very dry. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is... Uh, 
this is what God does. God brings back to life things that are dead. God brings resurrection from hopeless situations. Uh, Jesus comes from Nazareth, not from the best schools in the best suburbs of the best cities. So dead things are where God brings life. And I think this is where you can preach to people. And um, there might be some preachers who would read this passage and would say that we are supposed to be like Ezekiel, the the one um, where God says, you know, prophecy to the breath, mortal, say to the breath, you know, come and, and uh, prophecy as I command and then the breath comes or whatever, that we are supposed to be the, the one who kind of speaks these things to bring life. And and I would say in Lent, preach to the people in your congregation, not as if they are the prophet, but preach to your people as if they are the bones, because that is exactly what that's, they are and what we are. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely, um, that's absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, the truth is, is that uh, I think uh, uh, that I think where most Christians and where most of the world thinks that they're at in life is exactly that place in Monty Python's search for the Holy Grail. I'm not dead yet. You know, I'm getting better. And uh, if that's if that is the uh, case by which you understand yourself, uh, you won't understand what this text is about, nor will you, um, yeah, and what it has to say to you. Um, there's a great uh, philosopher, Ernst Becker, and he once uh, said, uh, "We think we're alive, yet so much of what passes for life is really death delayed, uh, mm. a kind of race from the womb to the tomb." End quote. And uh, that is, we don't really know fully what true life is all about. Uh, the fact is, is that um, uh, we've all had something fall apart. And this is the context of the particular passage. People are coming back from exile with, uh, because of King Cyrus of Babylon has allowed them to come back. He's even allowed them to take some of the temple stuff back with them. And they come to Jerusalem and it is a giant gargantuan trash heap. You know, and uh, into that particular situation, God asks this, I mean, let's just say what it is, an asinine question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, son of man, can these bones live? And uh, and what are you talking about? This is a, just a giant rubble heap. And uh, the same thing goes with our lives as well. You know, maybe for you it was... You know, you're coming out of a marriage or maybe for you, it's like a sick child or you lost a child or you've lost a parent or something, some sort of situation or some sort of move in your life. And there's no way to improve things or make things better or you are trying to and it's kind of holding it together. But yeah. nevertheless, it's going to die. And that when things die, the, I was just having a conversation with a person today about this and um when things, you know, and just kind of the relationship, they thought everything was going to come together and it didn't. It crumbled in two. And, uh, and you know, this is a person later in life and uh, was really hoping that they would be married by now. And, uh, and uh, this is the same. I mean, could you imagine the question, can these bones rise again? Right. Uh, you know, well, uh, Yes, it may not raise the way you think it's going to raise, but for sure, when God is at work, um, if it's up to us in any way, the answer is no, because the dead stay dead. However, um, when it's 
commanded by God, or in other words, to preach, then yes, dead bones come back to life because uh, the Holy Spirit is at work. And it may not come the way you want, but it always comes alive. And when the Spirit of God blows, uh, these dead bones do come to life and they stay alive. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the... the um the, the thing here is for people to get to that place of radical acceptance mm. of the fact that they are dead or that the situation is dead or that the situation is not worked out and, and, is, and it is beyond their control to, to fix. Um, and everybody has something like that where you need to kind of come to that realization. But again, it is in, in seeing the fact that it is hopeless where then God begins to work. And God says, I open your graves and I bring yeah. you up from your graves. Oh, my people, mm. I will put my spirit within you and mm. you shall live. This is what God does. It. And and this this is the message. We, we don't have a God who's like the cheerleader for people who are, you know, Try at the harder. end of the marathon. They're like feeling weak at the, you know, mile 23 and you just need a little bit of encouragement, some cheering from the sidelines, and then you can do it. It is... You, you fell down at mile one and you've been lying there in a heap um, as other people have passed you by. And this is where God comes along and he, and he fills you with his spirit and, and does the work. God is the one who raises people from their graves. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's, and, that's a, yeah. and that's a very, so, you know, when, when you are looking at the dry bone trash heap of your life, you know what I mean? What, what, when you're looking at what, Israel walked in on when they came back to Jerusalem after exile. Um, the question often is, is where is God? You know, and is God for me? And does God like want the best for me? Does he even care? And uh, this is the this is the place where if you go by what you see, uh, you all you're doing is speculating. And why actually the word of the preacher is so important and what you deliver from the pulpit is so important because what you deliver is the goods. What you deliver is the gospel. And that says that in the crucified Jesus, uh, the dead don't stay dead long. Yeah. What is it going to look like? I have no idea. And that's not your job to describe it. But what your job is to do, preacher, is to proclaim when the dead die in Christ, they don't stay dead long. That's right. Well, uh, moving on now to Romans 8, verses 6 through 11. We have a nice short passage, but one that is so rich and full of meaning. And I mean, it just kind of uh, blows your hair back. Um, you're in the spe- this phrase, the spirit of God dwells in you. That's pretty amazing. Um, and then there's, uh, there is, you know, kind of picking up on those themes from Ezekiel. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead Ooh. will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you, which is what we just said. Um uh, that's so. How do you? How do you? How would you communicate this, Jake? Or what would you add? Or, or not add, but how would you illuminate this? So well, I would say um, the point being here is that this is a new, fresh category that that Paul is giving us in Romans. You know, uh, we in the like kind of uh, reformational tradition love to talk about simul justus et peccator, simultaneously a saint and a sinner. And, uh, and what we get here in uh, Romans chapter 8 in this particular section is kind of a new category. You are simultaneously totally dead, dry bones, but you have been baptized. And so you are totally alive in Christ. 
And because you are alive in Christ and have been baptized, there's no condemnation for those who've been baptized. In baptism, you're put in Christ and there's no more, none of that. And so uh, the point being here is that, um, uh, is what Christ has done and uh, for you and uh, where now we are called to walk. And it's, it's two things that are pulling at each other. The dead side that wants to walk on my own and try and fix the trash heap. And then uh, the, um, the side that wants to walk according to the Spirit and according to faith in Christ. And so uh, that's really what I would hit. The point here is that navel-gazing will ultimately make you hostile towards God. And, uh, you know, the more you try and figure out what God is doing or how to please God to fix this, well, you wind up hating God all the more. And uh, that's to set your mind on the flesh, and that's ultimately death. But to set your mind on Christ, and this is why church is so important, because here you hear the gospel and this word pulls you up outside of yourself, and why communion is so important, because uh, it pulls you up outside of yourself, uh, you uh, are reminded that despite all of the inconsistencies of life, uh, um, you know, sometimes outwardly, uh, God is faithful, and he's faithful to us to the end inwardly, and uh, so we will be raised with him. I think the important thing also to say on this, I mean, that's that's great. And I think uh, many people read this opening, verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. And they think that that means to set the mind on, you know, you hear flesh, they think sex. Or like somehow that is like to, be, to think about like sinful things like, I don't know, uh, going sex drugs and rock and roll like to set the mind on those things if you if you were listening to motley you know when i was a kid it was like are you listening to two life crew and motley crew and any band that ends in crew it's going to be bad news um or just to set the mind on those just those sinful dirty things out there in the world like that will that will be death so you but you need to set the mind on the spirit so think about think about jesus listening to listen to michael w smith and and just think about memorize bible verses and this sort of became like a um like a formula to apply. Don't think about the flesh, think about the spirit. But I think that is a simplistic misreading of Mm -hmm. the passage. To set the mind on the flesh is to set your mind on, I'm going to be good enough for God. It's actually, it's not fleshly sinful things. Mm -hmm. It's navel gazing and it's, um, you can be a Christian who's focused on doing good works for God and that is your way of setting the mind on the flesh because it's the things that you do in your body for God. It's, it's um, legalistic, moralistic obedience to the, to the law. To set the mind on the spirit is to set one's mind on the fact that I am forgiven by God in Christ, that Jesus finished all that was required on the cross, that I am free. Um, the, the flesh is another thing where the, the, the law is at play. And um, so to set the mind on the flesh doesn't necessarily mean sinful bad things that you do in Las Vegas, it can actually mean setting your mind on very spiritual activities, but are you kind of earning your righteousness through what you do and the way you try to make people happy and make God happy and all that sort of stuff. So instead he's saying, uh, be someone who is um, uh, resting and rooted in the gospel of God's grace. Um, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because they are trying to um, earn God's love. in their flesh, they're trying to be perfect. So I think, uh, I think I was mistaught kind of how to understand this passage. Um, the one that's in the spirit is someone who rests in the grace of God. Um, 
So, uh, and knowing that it is, the, and you can do that because it's the spirit who will raise you from the dead. It is a spirit that mm-hmm. will sanctify you. It's a spirit mm-hmm. that will make you into the person that you, on some deep level, long to be set free mm-hmm. from all the things that bring you down. So, uh, and, and that's yeah. and that the spirit is the wonderful gift that God has given you uh, uh, by virtue of your baptism. That's the down payment that where Jesus is so shall you be. And we know this because, uh, well, um, uh, uh, Christ will never abandon his spirit, you know, and so you take the spirit with you. This is how it ties into Ezekiel, and this is how it ties into the gospel, ultimately, is that you take the spirit to the grave. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the grave, that's where Jesus will raise you. And that's our that's ultimately our hope. Well, how do I know that like God is, well, he's given you his spirit, and, uh, and that creates something greater than just, oh, a better relationship. That creates something better than just, oh, maybe I'd get the perfect job. Uh, rather, um, you have been given the Spirit, and that's our hope. And what that means is nothing less than the resurrection from the dead, ultimately. And yeah. so, and that's where our peace comes from to deal with the day-to-day mini-deaths that come about. And, um, and how do we know that we've been given the Spirit? Well, because Christ has said so, and it was given to you at your baptism. This is why we can't go by that kind of, uh, also the way some of us were taught that even I gave my life to Jesus. I made a personal commitment today. Well, that's awesome, but my personal commitment sucks. I have uh, been baptized, and at my baptism, I was given a promise that Jesus would never leave me or forsake me. And how do I know that? He's given me a down payment of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. As we say in our baptismal covenant, at the end of the service in the, in the Episcopal Church, in the prayer book, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Yeah, that's serious. Those aren't just words. It's that's serious, uh, you know, 100% proof religion right there. And uh, it is uh, that is good news. And I know so many people who they hang on to that promise with uh so with such touching devotion because uh there are people we know who are baptized but Mm. um if you look on the outside if you look on the flesh it looks like they are far away from god but again it is not we who hold on to god but god who holds on to us and this is the god who raises people from the dead um and gives gives life to our mortal bodies so that's what we find happening kind of a a case study now in John chapter 11, Mm. just as Ezekiel saw kind of this uh, prophetic, uh, (laughs) mystical vision of this kind of these valley of dry bones, but weren't real people. Now we see a real person who is actually dead and is very dead. Um, And uh, and you get this whole story where Lazarus, who lives in a town called Bethany, uh, is sick, and they send uh, his sisters, Mary and Martha, send messengers to tell Jesus that Lazarus, his buddy, their brother, is sick and to come heal him. Uh, but then Jesus delays very annoyingly. Yeah. He, um, he stays a long time. He's like, okay. Two I days late. Problem. <laughs> yeah, I hear there's urgency. And it like it's not like when he decides to go, he's just going to get in his car and drive. Like, it's going to take him a long time to get uh, over to Bethany. So by the, by the time he does finally get there, it's been four days. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four yeah. days. That's verse 17. 
Um, so yeah, the, uh, the uh, weeping. I mean, it's just literally if you ever go to Jerusalem, it's like I always in my mind's I had like it was miles away, but it's just like over a hill. It's still today yeah. and part of like what is Jerusalem. But um, but the I mean, he rolls up and the disappointment is uh, is tangible. It's palpable. I mean, because in those days you hired people to come weep. And uh, and uh, uh, this, these people aren't just like random folks. I mean, Mary and Martha have entertained him in the home. Lazarus is his buddy. Yeah, and uh, he's, VIP, he's super he's super late. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it's so much so that um, Mary, she doesn't even show up to meet Jesus. The disappointment. I mean, it, it's that level. Uh, Mary does not show up. It's only Martha. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Lord. If you had only been there, my brother would not have died. I mean, yeah. there's like agony in that statement, and not a little bit of like accusation. Yeah, uh, you, you showed up for other folks. What's up with us? Yeah, who it's hasn't such asked an that honest question? Prayer. It's such an it's such an honest conversation, and um, it to me, it's it's almost like imagine if you had a relative who needed a heart transplant and you knew a guy who had a, an organ to a heart to donate and uh, it's like it's in the cooler and you said okay well bring it and the guy was like okay I'll be there I just I'm going to watch the end of the game I'm going to have a few more beers watch <laughs> the end of the game and then he falls asleep and the, so it's it's like that whole kind of uh uh just what were you what were you doing uh and yeah, so she's angry when he shows up, um, which is clearly expressed. Um, and uh, Jesus says to her, "Well, you know." Well, she, she says to him, I, "I know, I know that God will give you whatever you ask." And then she, he says, "Yes, your brother will rise again." And Martha says, "Well, I know, yes, he will on the last day. Like this is, yeah, this is the hope we have, and but it's kind of too, it's too late now for this, uh, for this life." And Jesus. In this famous and wonderful passage, then this is the one you hear in the funeral service. I am resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And uh, those who live and believe in me will never die. And he asks her, do you believe this? And she says, yes, you're the Messiah. And so uh, at this point, they then go out to the tomb and... Uh, we hear again Mary saying essentially the same thing, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary and Martha, different people, very different sisters, but the same kind of understanding. And this is where you see, again, you could preach on so many different things in this passage, but um, Jesus himself is greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He's like, he's, it's, he's, it's a gut punch for him. Um, yeah, and well, he the knows weeping there is to... like, it's like the same Greek word as the snort of an angry horse. Like, and yeah. the point is, is that he's looking out and it's not like he's like, <laughs> I'm sorry. it's not like, that's not what this is about. This is the snort of an, like a war horse. And the point is, is that uh, Jesus as a man, but also as fully God is feeling the emotion of what it is. This is what it is to be a jealous God and to see his creation uh, uh, we were never meant to die. That's the point. And this is like a deep, because uh, to die, whenever you go to a funeral, this isn't the circle of life. This reminds you that something is profoundly, profoundly wrong. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Jesus, uh, um, he it says again, he's greatly disturbed in verse 38. He comes to the tomb 
and tells them to move the stone. Uh, and this is a Valley of the Dry Bones sort of situation. Like, it's he's been dead for four days, and everybody knows he's been dead for four days. He's not... There's going to be an no, odor, Jesus. No it is a, yeah, it's, it's going to smell really bad. This is a hopeless situation. And, um, again, contact with a dead body is this unclean thing in, in the Jewish tradition. And so it's just a very kind of gnarly situation. But he yeah. says, did I not tell you? If you believe, you'd see the glory of God. So they like, okay, this is up to you. It's sort of like... Uh, when Jesus tells Peter, like, put the nets down on the other side of the boat, he's like, we haven't caught anything. He's like, well, since you, if you say so, I'll do it, but this isn't going to work. Um, so again, this is like to the point where people sometimes make, if you have enough faith, God can do anything. It's like, these people don't really have faith. They're like, if you'd been here, it would have been okay, but you weren't here. So they clearly have put limits on what Jesus can do. And again, he's been dead for four days. And they're like, it's gonna, there's no hope here, Jesus. So there's, it's not like they have great faith. And anyone anyone tells you, like, if you had more faith and God could act, no, 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 no. Like Jesus is working with people that they have some faith, but like it clearly has run out. And they don't move the stone because they truly deeply believe. They move the stone because Jesus sort of insists that they move it. And they're like, well, okay, it's on you. If you'll sign this waiver, we'll move the, we'll move the stone. And so they do that. And then, of course, he calls. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does just that. Uh, he doesn't even take the cloth that's wrapped, the burial cloths that are wrapped around him. Um, he just he comes out. Um, which, you know, there's a beautiful kind of uh, thing to say there about even when Jesus has raised you from the dead, which he has as a Christian, as we've said, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, marked as Christ's own forever. You have been um, um, adopted into the into the family of God and you're part of the body of Christ. But sometimes you still have the, the bearer cloths wrapped around you and you need to be unbound. And this is where Jesus says, unbind him and, and let him go. Uh, you said something amazing, I think, the last time we talked about this passage jake on this podcast uh so if you're a new listener this is new if you were here last year you've heard this but that he has to say lazarus come out because if he just said come out all the dead people in the tomb would have come out so he had to be really specific about the the one he was calling um which i think is a is a really cool thing so he says our names when he yeah from the dead and it's, he does it the same way that happened with Ezekiel because he's not just when she says, I know that, you know, whatever you ask for, God will get like Martha, Martha is not in the or is it Mary is not in the presence of just any old dude. She's in the presence of the son of man, not one like the son of man in Ezekiel, but the son of man. And, uh, and he brings to life by a word and spirit as well. And, uh, and this ultimately is the good news of the gospel and is what Christian hope is all about. Christian hope, uh, unlike Joel Olstein and all the other prosperity preachers, Christian hope is not about your best life now. Yeah. The gospel is Jesus has gone to the grave, not to simply mourn, here and to relate and be with you, but Jesus has gone to the grave to be for you and to conquer, not just to weep and grieve, but to cry out and against and destroy this darkness we call death. Um, and by his death and confirmed in his resurrection that it cannot hold you. And this is why I love at the end of our burial liturgy, we say in the accommodation, you know, um, I love this. Uh, For so did you ordain when you created me, saying, and this goes back to Ash Wednesday, you are dust and to dust you shall return. All of us go down to the dust. None of us are getting out of here alive. 
Yet even in the face of death, even in the face of our grave, we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. I mean, that is crazy talk. But you have been given the Spirit of Christ, and so you can do that as well. And so we go down to the grave and rest because we're going where there's no sorrow or pain no more, neither sighing, but life everlasting. And we know that because of Jesus, uh, the end is not the end, but simply the beginning, because these bones will live again. Ultimately, that's our hope, and it'll live again by grace. They'll live again because of a gift through faith, not by your doing, as you were saying earlier, our own achievements, but uh, by this word, uh, this word given to us that comes by the power of the Spirit, and uh, and uh, really that makes uh, unbelievers believers and raises the dead to life and forgives sinners. That's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. Anything well, else I is think... just uh, trappings and add-on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, preachers preach this as as someone who yourself is dead and has been raised to new life and who needs to hear this word and um, know that your congregation needs to hear it um, for themselves, uh, for the hopeless situations in their own lives and with people they love, that uh, Jesus is the one who, who raises dead people to, to new life and dead things and dead situations and dead dreams to, to new life. Um, it's, it's, he's the one who raises the dead. Uh, that's central. So this is a great uh, hope-filled, uh, honest yet hope-filled uh, set of passages for um, the fifth Sunday in Lent. Um, preach it and um, hear it for yourself as well. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.